The only thing that came into my mind was the word miraculous. And then miraculous became a question. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Ascent, and uh, I get the good fortune of getting to introduce you all to a brand new series. We're starting a new one called Do You Believe in Miracles? And we're excited about this. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the stories in the Bible where miraculous things happen. And the series is not going to be so much about like whether you should believe these actually happen, can miracles be possible. It's more about taking a look at these stories and asking, hey, what does this story from Scripture tell me about my life? But I do want to say, I know that sometimes for some of y'all, it can be a, a tough pill to swallow and you're reading the Bible and you're reading about stuff happening that can't actually happen. And so I want to give just a quick side note to that, that I believe without any doubt that I can convince every single person in this room without fail, incontrovertibly, 100% that not only can miracles happen, but they do happen with regularity in our lives. Think I can do it? Here we go. I only need three examples. One. If you look at this middle screen, this is our um, super edgy, current, relevant graphic for the series about a hockey game played in 1980. Um, if you don't know about the miracle on Lake Placid, here's what happened. A plucky group of intrepid young American hockey players took on the indomitable, undefeatable, never lost in their life Soviet Union hockey team that hadn't lost in 10,000 years. And they beat them. In the semifinals, not even the gold medal match, actually. Um, and as the game is about to end, as time is clicking down, uh, the guy calling the game just shouts, do you believe in miracles? It was a miracle. They couldn't possibly win. And also, it's just a reminder of how um, lucky I feel to be at a church that is so committed to staying with the times. You know, like, <laughs> I was not alive when that, when that game was played I was two years from birth. So um, that's who we are at Ascent. We stick to what's happening right now. Uh, but if you need, if you're just like, yeah, it's a little too long ago, like, like maybe they happened in 1980, but not now. Um, let me direct your attention to the screens now because this is a picture of the, Chica the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. The Chicago Cubs can't win the World Series. That's what Cubs stands for can't win. That's them. So since 1908, this team had spent so much money trying to get a team good enough to win the World Series, and they were just pathetic. They just couldn't do it. Everybody, like, talked about, like, you want to talk about somebody who tries really hard and just isn't any good? You think of the Cubs, but they won the World Series. They did it. All right, one more. This is the last one. So tomorrow night, Monday night, tens of millions of people, tens of millions of people are going to tune into ABC to watch The Bachelorette. Yeah. <laughs> They've done over 30 seasons of The Bachelor and Bachelorette combined, and it's always a train wreck. But yet, like five, I don't know, they do this show like 10 times a year, it feels like. There's always a new season, and it's like, will she find love? No, she won't. They never do. But you people are going to watch that show tomorrow night, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I see. There's like people are getting shy and like kind of like, oh gosh. You are. 
So here's what I have to say. You know, like Rachel, she seems like a really nice girl. It does not matter who she picks. It's not going to work out. I hate to spoil that for you. It's not. But here's what I'm saying. If the Chicago Cubs can be World Series champions, if you're still going to watch The Bachelorette and wonder, will she find love? Then maybe Jesus could heal some blind people. That's all I'm saying. I, I think these are on the same level. And so I want to start by, by talking about what I think is the most miracly miracle of all the miracles. And this is when Jesus and a guy named Peter walk on water, right? That is miracly. Um, this story actually shows up in the Bible three times. It's in Mark chapter 6, John chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Matthew had it earlier. He had to move it back because otherwise it would have been 666 and you just can't have that in the Bible. So uh, we're going to look at the Matthew version. Uh, but I do want to say this before I get into the scripture. Uh, if you are a person that at any point in your life, you've been to that point where you feel like you are just getting pounded by life on every side. And you look around and you're just wondering like, where is God in this? If that's you, or if you're a person and your story has just been marked with a lot of just doubt, like, is this real? Is this whole faith thing really just a big load of bunk? If either of those things apply to you, I hope you'll really dial in because I think that this story is speaking directly to you. So let me just hop into it. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, read this. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Okay, first line, immediately after this. Here's a pro tip for reading. If you ever read that phrase, you might need to jump back a couple paragraphs and look, what is the this? So here's the context. Here's what's happened. Jesus and his disciples have been out ministering to people. He's been doing some miracles. He's drawing these huge crowds and they're starting to get tired and they need a little rest. In that context, they get news that their friend, John, usually called John the Baptist in the Bibles, Bibles, in the Bible, there's just the one, um, that John has been executed. And so it says that they are looking for a place to get away. Like they need some space, some solitude so that they can grieve and rest. So they get in a boat and they try to go to a remote place, but the crowd finds them. And it says that there's a crowd of 5,000 men. So it's probably like 10 to 15,000 total people find them. And this is where Jesus does another one of his miracles where he feeds all of these people with two small fish and five small loaves of bread. And so they were, they were tired. They were sad. They were looking for solitude. This giant crowd feeds them, and then Jesus does this amazing miracle. That's the this, immediately after that. But then it says something else that, that really, you could miss it, but it's kind of strange. It says, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. That is a weird thing to insist, because they are traveling together, and they have one boat. And he's saying, you guys, get in the boat. Go over there. I'll catch up to you later. This would be like if we were taking a road trip out east and we stopped at some random tiny gas station in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. And I said, you know what? You guys go on ahead. I'll catch up. In what? Like he can't. I imagine this was a very strange and frustrating conversation for the disciples. But it says that he insists and eventually they go and Jesus is left alone. And it is kind of important to see what he does here because he seizes the opportunity to be alone. And it says that he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Just a quick comment on that. In all four of, you know, there's four gospels, which are just kind of stories of Jesus's life and ministry in the Bible. And they all talk about different times where Jesus goes off by himself to pray. 
and none of them offer us any kind of commentary on why he does that, what he prays about when he gets there. All we know is that it is a very regular rhythm of Jesus's life to go off by himself and to pray. And all I have to say about that is when Jesus makes something a priority in his life, it might be worth trying. So um, moving on from there, Jesus is by himself. Uh, night falls. Most of the night has passed. The disciples are out on the lake. And we pick the story back up um, in verse 24. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Okay, so here we go. Now's when the story starts to get weird. So we find out how Jesus had actually planned to catch back up with everybody. Um, And for me, this... um, it begs an interesting question. Like, why is he doing this, right? Why did he send him out ahead? Why, why is, he, is he just showing off? Is this just an opportunity for Jesus to be like, hey, guys, check out what I can do. It's a great party trick. Like, and I don't think so. And I think the answer for why he actually does it is in verse 24, where it says, the disciples were in trouble. So the disciples, uh, several of them were experienced fishermen. They'd spent their life on boats. Like, Jesus had no, no reason to expect that they wouldn't be able to handle this. But he's on the shore, and he sees they're in trouble, and he comes to help. He is motivated by the welfare of his disciples. I think, I think that's why he's out there doing that. But I, I read this, this story a lot of times in the last couple of weeks. Um, and one of the things I did, I try to, I try to when, I, when I'm reading a story in the Bible, to get into the head of the people in the story. How are they experiencing this? So I want to take a minute to like really try to break down what is Peter thinking? He, he's one of Jesus' disciples. He's out there on the boat. What has he been going through that led him to this point? And so we start with, it, the, whole, the whole thing kind of starts with, they get word that John, um, their friend, their kind of colleague, coworker, has been executed. And he's sad. We don't know for sure exactly how well Peter knew John the Baptist, but we do know is that Peter's brother, Andrew, was a disciple of John the Baptist before he became a disciple of Jesus. And when Andrew met Jesus, he immediately got Peter. So it means Peter was at least close by, and, and, and that's when Peter starts following Jesus. So there's a decent chance that Peter had actually been discipled to John previously. What matters is we know he has just gotten word that somebody he knew and cared about um, not just has died, but has been, been executed. Um, he's sad. He, he is suffering very real loss. Uh, I think Peter is experiencing grief. He also knows why John was executed. And it's because he was preaching the same message they are. He was involved in the same work that they are involved in. And they are well aware at this point that there are all, there's already intrigue building. There are already plots to try to capture and kill Jesus and his disciples. So Peter goes from the theory that what I'm doing is dangerous to the first one of us has now died for this. He's grieving, but he's fearful. He's afraid. And it says that they got to the place where Jesus would feed all of those people because they were looking for a place to rest because they have been so busy in their ministry already. They were exhausted and they needed to rest. And what they got instead of solitude and rest was 10,000 people who needed to be loved and cared for. 
and they took that task on. And I can't help but imagine that when, when Jesus works this miracle and all these people get fed, that, that like your endorphins get going, your adrenaline gets pumping, you get excited about that. But do you know that feeling when you've gotten that boost, that late boost of energy, and then it kind of passes, 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 and the adrenaline leaves, and you realize just how depleted you are just how tired and exhausted you are. He's exhausted. And then they're getting ready to get in this boat and Jesus says, you know what, you guys go on ahead. Like that had to be a confusing and frustrating conversation. We're saying, Jesus, no, I, I'm following you. You can't send, like you have to come or by definition, I'm not following you, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 you go ahead to the other side of the lake. I'll catch up. And you don't know what he's doing, and he probably isn't explaining himself, and it seems mysterious and strange, and it's confusing and frustrating, right? He's grieving. He's afraid. He's exhausted. And now he's confused and frustrated as well. And so then they begin rowing, and they're rowing far from shore, and the wind is against them. So they're having to work hard on it. You know their body is just getting sore, and they're getting a whole nother level of tired. And then once they get, and I love it, the verse says this, they are far from shore. And the storm kicks up. And they're just getting beat up by giant waves on every side. Adding that on top of everything that has already happened. They're out here and now they're scared in a whole new way. It actually tells us they've been rowing all night long. That day they were looking for rest and it didn't come. And that night they spend it all in a boat fighting the wind, fighting the waves. They are at the end of their rope. And guys, this is the kind of moment, I'm sure you've had a moment like this in your life. You have that moment where you begin to question every decision you have made that has led you to this point. Do you know that moment? Where you think, gosh, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was on the right track, but I'm looking at my life right now and this can't be right. Like this can't be the way that this is supposed to go right now. And you think, what if I, like the things that I thought were true, maybe they're not. I can't help but think that Peter is sitting in this boat and saying, the things that I thought were true about this man, Jesus, maybe they're not. Look at what's happening. I got nothing else left. What do I do now? And then wouldn't you know it, in that moment, a ghost shows up. Like, what? A ghost? Seriously? When, when you face everything that is hard, when nothing seems to be going right in your life, what do you do? What do you do in that moment? How do you respond to it? When the storm starts raging, what do you do? When you're tired and you're exhausted, what do you do? When you've been been working so hard for so long and you take a look around you and you realize I am far from shore. There is no dock anywhere close. I've been working harder than I feel like I can work and I can't see any place in the future where this stops. When you have that thought, like I can't even catch up. How am I ever going to get ahead? What do you do? What do you do when you're sad, when you're suffering loss, when you're grieving when it feels like there's just loss everywhere around you, what do you do? When you've been fighting the storm all night long, doing what Jesus told you to do, and he's not even here, 
When you look around and he's not here, what do you do in that moment? I'll tell you what I do, because I have a pretty, pretty well-established pattern in my life in those moments when I just start to feel like the problems are all around me and I don't know how to do with them. I start off by, um, I just kind of shut down. I kind of pull inside of myself. I withdraw. I avoid. I avoid people. I avoid those topics. I just avoid everything. Like, like I'm trying to hide from it. I'm a hider. And then in that, I start to get angry. All that stuff inside of me, that fear, that anxiety, it turns into anger. And unfortunately, all too often, I lash out at the people who love me most. That's my pattern. That's what I do. I get so caught up that I can't, I can't get my eyes off of all the problems in my life, and I get overwhelmed by them, and it shuts me down. That's what I do. But that's not what Peter does. What he does, I think, is kind of incredible. He goes on, verse 28. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. And this response blows my mind. Like, and I think it's easy to lose the strangeness of his response if you just get caught up in the fact that he's doing like magic stuff walking on water, right? Because there are a lot of ways that I can imagine responding to Jesus in that moment, but asking that question is not one of them. I could see just being afraid. Like he says, hey, I'm here and be like, Jesus, save us. Like we're, we're sinking. I can see being angry in that situation, being like, where have you been? You sent us here. How could you do this? I could see just relief. Like that moment where you've been working the oars and you just let go because all of a sudden you're like, oh, thank you. Like we're going to be okay. I can imagine those things. I cannot imagine saying what Peter says. It blows my mind. Because all of that stuff has piled up on top of him. Everything has built on it to lead him to this point where he should be at the end of his rope, not willing to go any further. And what he says to Jesus is, give me more. All I have left is this little rickety boat to cling to. Tell me to let go of it. I cannot believe he asks that question. When you face the storm, what do you do? Because here's what Peter did. He took his eyes off of the problems and put them on Jesus. It's like in that one moment, Peter is saying, listen, regardless of what this is going to cost me, regardless of what it has already cost me, regardless of anything out there in the world of how mysterious and strange you are, Jesus, I don't care. Whatever happens, I'm going to keep coming to you. That's what he is saying in that moment. And Jesus' response is so simple. And in this verse, it says, yes, come. And it's actually just one word. He just says, come. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't say, this is why you're here. This is what it's going to be like. He just says, come. And Peter does it. In that moment, in that moment, Peter had it. Because that is the core of everything that following Jesus is. It's willing to say, come what may, whatever else happens, Jesus, I will follow where you lead me. And for a moment, Peter gets it. But just for a moment. The story goes on like this in verse 30. 
But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately, don't miss immediately, he immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? I read that story and I can't help but wonder, what's the first step out of the boat like? You know, does he kind of like hang his toe off and tap it around? Like, is this going to hold me? I don't think so, because I don't think anybody would actually take the second step if you did that. I think he, he jumped. And here's why. I grew up uh, just a couple of states away from here in Missouri. One of the cool things about Missouri is there's, uh, there's a lot of water there, a lot of rivers and lakes. And so in the summers, if you're a kid growing up in Missouri, you go on canoe trips. That's what you do. It's not rafting. It's canoe trips. And... Um, and it's super fun because, you know, you're swimming and you're splashing and you're with your friends and you're paddling and you're waiting until somebody's not paying attention and flipping their boat over. It's great. But the whole time you're on a canoe trip, you're always looking for one thing. And the thing you're looking for is a cliff. You're looking for a cliff over a nice deep pool of water that you can climb up on top of and jump and just feel that free fall into the water. It's the best part. And so every paddle stroke, you're kind of looking like, where's my cliff going to be? And, and so I grew up doing this. And it's so fun. It's exhilarating when you, when you leave the ground and you feel the, the wind rushing past your ears and you're falling and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're just kind of lost in that moment. Your heart's going. It's so great. Um, but I've learned a couple things about jumping off cliffs from both uh, doing it myself and watching other people. And the most important lesson you need to know about cliff jumping is that the longer you spend at the top of the cliff, the less likely you are to jump in, right? You got to just get up there and go because you think you come to the edge and you look and you think you're building up your courage to jump. You're not. Your courage is trickling down your leg, out your toes and leaving you. The, the people who stand up there too long are most likely to have a very uncomfortable climb down ahead of them. And you miss out on the best part of it. It's the best when you work up the courage to just go one, two, three, and jump. And I think that's what Peter did. I think Jesus said, come, and he went. I think he hopped right over. But he's about to learn a really important lesson. See, to jump off a cliff, it takes one moment of courage. Because once you leave the ground, there's no change in your mind. But to walk, to walk on water requires a, a sustained amount of courage. And Peter finds out that he can't do it. And oddly enough, I find that an encouragement. Because in my life, I mostly find that I can't either. See, Peter had taken his eyes off of his problems and put them on Jesus, and he jumped. But our eyes, our eyes have a tendency to drift. And all of a sudden, the same wind and the same waves that he thought he had put behind him, they start to creep back in from the periphery. He gets out there, and the same fears, the same things that have been holding him back, they come back in, and he starts to sink. Isn't that just like us? I'm 35, and oftentimes I feel like a lot of the problems I'm dealing with today are the same ones I was dealing with when I was 25 and when I was 15. Like, sometimes I want to think, like, God, didn't I put this behind me? Why is this coming back into my life? Um, but it does. I think Peter is just like that, and he lets those things get back into his eyes, and he gets afraid and he begins to sink. And in that moment, he cries out something incredibly, incredibly important. He just says, save me. Save me, Lord. 
And immediately Jesus does. And here's a great promise, and it's that even though our situations may still be rough, the promise always remains that that prayer, save me, Lord, is always listened to. It is always responded to. And Jesus reaches out and he saves him. You see, there's a, there is a lie that I think we are all very prone to believe, and it's this lie. That faith is something that we either have or don't have. I think that's a lie. So you get this idea, this picture that inside of me, there's this inner turmoil of faith and doubt, and they're battling it out. And I'm just hoping that maybe someday faith will ultimately win and that doubt will completely leave. And that from that point on, I'm going to feel just sure about every decision in my life. Even if it's hard, it's going to feel easy to make the choice because I'm just going to be sure that this is what God wants and that what God wants is what is best for me. We just want to be sure and we, we, we hope that there's a day coming and on that day, I will never feel doubt again. I won't feel uncertain again. I won't even feel fear again. We're waiting for that moment, right? Well, here's what I want to say. If you wait for that moment, you will wait for your entire life because that's just like coming to the edge of the cliff and waiting. And if you don't jump, if you never make that leap, you miss out on the best part. You miss out on the absolute best part of this life, and you'll spend it all at the top, staring down, wishing. See, we don't ever get to the point where it's just easy, where we just feel sure, and that's okay. Because if you look at the Bible, like Peter didn't get to that point. This is a great story of it. He had the courage to jump, right? But it remained hard. All of a sudden, he wasn't quite so sure about what he had just done. Later, um, later on, Peter's going to say to Jesus, listen, Jesus, even if everybody else turns their back on you, I never will. And Jesus has to look in the eyes of his like kind of precious, prideful little friend, Peter, and be like, buddy, you're going to deny me three times today. Today. And yet this is the guy, Peter is the guy that Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my entire church. You are going to be the basis for everything that is going to come next. And here's why that's important, because we know that Peter was not perfect. And we know that Peter did not have perfect faith. And that means that we don't either. We don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have perfect faith. But Peter did have something that is absolutely essential. He was willing to try. We got to try even when it's hard, even when it's scary. And here's something really crazy. I don't even think Jesus ever got to a point where he was so sure that it made everything easy. The story starts with Jesus um, going off to pray by himself. Well, in another couple, in another couple chapters in Matthew, he's going to go pray by himself again. And this time, he's going to be praying on the night that he knows he's going to be betrayed, arrested, tried, beaten, and ultimately executed. And he goes off by himself, and he prays to his father, and he says, Father, I, I'm afraid. I'm scared, and I don't, I don't want to do this. Do I have to do this? Uh, the way the Bible says it, he says, prays to God and says, God can't. If, it, if it's okay, can you let this cup pass on for me? Because I don't want to drink it. But he doesn't end there. 
He, he honestly describes where he is, but then he says something so important to God. He says, but not my will, but your will be done. See, on that night, it wasn't easy for Jesus to make the decision to follow the path that God had put before him. I don't think he just felt so sure that he had this easy, peaceful feeling that come what may, I'm just going to do this. He didn't have a heart that was completely free of doubt. What he had was courage. In that moment, he had to be courageous. Some of you have heard me tell the story a couple years ago. I had the opportunity to donate a kidney, um, which is a cool thing. You guys should totally donate a kidney. Um, And uh, let me tell you a little bit about what happens when you donate your kidney. Um, It's going to take like at least six months, right? They're going to do every test that modern science knows how to do on you because they want to be sure that you're healthy enough to do this. They never want to put the donor at risk. So it's tons of blood tests and physicals and everything. And you're going to have a lot of doctor's appointments leading up to it. And regardless of who you go with, at some point during every one of those appointments, they're going to get you alone. And somebody's going to come in and they're going to say to you, are you sure you still want to do this? Is anybody pressuring you into it? Do you feel like you're being, being forced? Do you want to do this? And then they tell you, because listen, if you don't want to do this, we will create a medical excuse for you. No one will ever know. We will just say you're not compatible or we found something in one of these tests and you simply can't do it. Do you want to do this? And so time after time, over months, I just kept saying, yes, yes, yes. And I said yes very easily. I would even scoff at it um, because I was so certain. I felt lucky that I was going to get the chance to do this. Because who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't feel lucky to get the chance to do that? The chance to have 100% sure, hard, empirical proof that I am a better person than every one of you jerks. Like, (laughs) right? You can't pass up that kind of moral high ground. It was easy to say yes. I said yes every time. Millions of times they asked me this question. The thing is, the last time they asked me, it was a little different. Because see, the last time they asked me, I was wearing a surgical gown and one of those little surgical hairnet things. And I was on a gurney. Um... And they came in and they, they asked me. And uh, one thing I haven't told like anybody at this church is I was actually born, I'm missing a gene. Um, I have a gene that's missing and it's the one that, um, it, that's kind of complicated. Uh, it allows you to think about the consequences of your decisions before they actually happen. <laughs> so I don't have that one. And so it took this moment, honestly, it took that moment for me to really begin to consider what was about to happen to me. I was going to be sedated, that a team of people was going to cut open my abdominal cavity and take out an organ. I was scared. In that moment, I was terrified. All that bravado that I had when I was scoffing off that question, when I'd say yes so easily, none of that was left. And they come and say, Chris, do you... Do you still want to do this? It's not too late to say no. No one will ever know. We'll cover for you. My answer is a lot quieter that time. And in general, I wouldn't say in life I'm an especially like brave person, right? But in that moment, I had to scrape together every little bit of courage I had 
squeak out the word yes and jump. And it wasn't because I felt sure. It wasn't because this was an easy decision. It wasn't because I wasn't feeling fear. I have never in my life been that afraid. It took courage to say yes. And hear this. It takes courage to follow Jesus. See, faith is not something that we can have. That's a lie. Faith is something that we do. It's not a possession, it's an activity. It's like a song that disappears as soon as you stop singing. Having faith isn't about getting yourself to a place in life where you just feel sure about everything and making the right choice or going where God leads you feels like it's easy. That is not what having faith is about. Following uh, Jesus is about just saying yes and going wherever he may lead you. And I can promise you, it won't be easy all the time. There are pastors out there who want you to believe that if you're following Jesus, your life is just going to be going from blessing to blessing, and that everything's going to be a piece of cake. Well, that wasn't true for Jesus. It wasn't true for his disciples. And I'm telling you, it won't be true for you either. Anybody who tells you that is lying to you. Because following Jesus is not about making you comfortable. It's about bringing glory to God. There's this um, uh, professor and Bible scholar named Stanley Hauerwas, and he says this about this very passage. Often the church finds herself far from the shore and threatened by strong winds and waves. Those in the boat often fail to understand that they are meant to be far from shore and that to be threatened by a storm is not unusual. If the church is faithful, she will always be far from the shore. Some, moreover, will be commanded to leave even the safety of the boat to walk on water. And man, I read that, and there's a part of me that hates that, right? There's the part of me that says, no, 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 no. I want to be, like, like in the boat, docked, and it's a casino boat. Like, I want to be comfortable. I want to be safe, right? But you know what? That's not the only part of me. There's actually another part of me that longs for this, that longs for this. The part of me that wants to do something bigger. The part of me that wants to be grown and stretched and to find out what am I actually made of. There is a part of me that says, that listens to this and hears that if I am faithful, I'm actually going to be far from shore. And that says, bring it on. Let's see. Let's do it. Uh, Before I came to this church, I was a youth pastor and... We took our kids to a summer camp a couple years ago and had like a pirate theme, you know. Uh, but the shirts and like there, there was this phrase that they said over and over and over again that has just stuck with me. And it was this. They said, calm seas don't make great captains. And guys, I hear about this and there's this part of me that is ready to say, Jesus, who am I going to be? What kind of man am I going to be? What kind of woman Is Jesus going to help you to become? There's part of me I don't want, I don't just want it to be easy, and I believe that's true for you too. If you follow Jesus, it will not be easy at every turn, and oftentimes it's going to be downright hard. And as I was thinking about it, I thought, you know what, actually the same is true if you choose not to follow Jesus. Like you're going to have moments that feel good, and you're going to have moments uh, that are hard. There's this kind of obscure passage in the Old Testament where it just says, God sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Like God calls everybody child, right? Hardship will come in your life. That seems to just be part of it. And here's, here's what it is. If you follow Jesus, it won't be easy, but it will change you. 
and it will call you into opportunities you would never have had elsewise. Most importantly, it'll bring you close to God. And I believe with every bit of my soul that that is the one place you were always meant to be. Before he steps out, Peter says something to Jesus that blew my mind. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you. That is an incredibly dangerous prayer. Super dangerous prayer. And it's a prayer I would like to invite every one of you to pray. I love that it starts, Lord, if it's really you. He's not even certain about that at this point. If it's really you, Lord, tell me to come to you. And I don't know what Jesus will say to you if you pray that prayer. But there's a real good chance it's going to take you far from shore. Maybe he's going to say, hey, you got to let go. You are clinging, clutching to things in your life, to your, to your money, to your resources, to your job, to your friends, to your privilege, to your status, to your popularity. You are holding on to those things like that's what's keeping you afloat, and you got to let it go. you got to get generous with that stuff. Maybe, maybe he's going to say, hey, you need to stop taking your marriage for granted. And you need to start doing the things that you need to do to repair things and make it right. Maybe, maybe Jesus is going to say, hey, you know what? There is somebody in your life that needs you and that needs me. And I need you to step out in faith and share what I've done in your life with that person so that they can begin their journey with me. Maybe Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? It's time. It's time. It's time to start fighting and seeking health in your battle with addiction. And it's time to find a new way. I don't know what Jesus is going to invite you into, but I do believe that there's one thing that we all have in common. I think every one of us, myself included, there's, there's some point in our life where we've walked up to the edge and we're just, we're just looking and we're trying to decide, am I going to let Jesus really be in charge of every part of my life? Am I going to be willing to get out of this boat and take a step forward towards Jesus? Am I going to make that voice the first voice in my life? So I hope you guys will. I hope you will pray. Um, In a moment, Becky's going to come up here. There's a song that I asked her to sing um, that hits on a lot of the themes of this this, um, passage. While she's singing, I want you to be thinking, hey, hey, Jesus, if this is really you, tell me to come. Tell me to come. And then gather up what little courage you have and see if you can find enough to just jump. You pray with me? God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this this passage and a story that tells me I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have this all figured out. Um, but, But that, God, you are waiting for me and that you are ready to call me. So God, for everyone in this room, I pray that you start speaking that word loudly in their ears. What does it mean to step out of the boat and come to you for each one of us? Because we know it's a different answer for each person. We pray for courage and insight. That's in your name we pray. Amen.